Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. I was chatting to Gareth, the caller who got in touch with me on yesterday's show about his wife, Vicky's story, because she was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she decided to avail of assisted dying in her home country in Belgium. Uh, Vicky was a terminal cancer patient who had had cancer for over 10 years. Her condition became much worse since December of 2022 and the pain and the suffering that that she endured from then until April gave her no choice but to opt for assisted dying. They're very difficult conversations, but they're conversations that I believe all of us should have. Those three days that you had, uh, Gareth, when you arrived with Vicky in Belgium, what did you do for those three days? Vicky had just switched off emotionally, you know. She's in a a frame of mind where she's preparing herself for her death. She tells me that her parents are upset, that they don't feel that they can be with her for the procedure. Uh, So they're very lonely days. On her, the very lonely, distressing yeah. days. She had told me that she hadn't booked her suitcase home on a flight, that there was two tickets to Belgium and one ticket home. Nobody should have to endure what we had to endure. And that perhaps the broader Irish public deserve a say as to whether or not we want our legislators to amend the laws in relation to this. Yeah, it was a heartbreaking interview uh, chatting to, to Gareth yesterday and if, if you didn't get to hear it all and you want to listen to it it's on the Newstalk app you can you can subscribe there to Lunchtime Live but a lot of people got in touch with me um, after yesterday's show by email some on, some on Instagram as well to give their own thoughts their views their perspective on this and I, I understand it is an extremely controversial issue people are in favour of it they're for it they're totally against it. And there's a whole host of people in the middle that just don't know where they sit in this debate. And that's okay. You're going to hear an awful lot more about this. It's it's going to be a, one of the big issues, policy issues, um, no matter what way it's decided. The Joint Committee um, on Assisted Dying or Dying with Dignity, I think that's, that's recommencing again now on Tuesday next week. So you are going to hear more about this. And I, I thought it was worth hearing Garrett's view on it and his, his story on the show. Susan, you got in touch with me after you heard Garrett's story yesterday. Um, you had an illness in, in your family, is that right? Yes, yeah, so my my mum passed away in April 2021 and my sister who lived with her had been battling cancer for 10 years. She had breast cancer, which developed into bone cancer. Sorry to hear so, that, Susan. Um, as I say, she, she was... Uh, She'd come to the stage, I think, after my mum died, that she'd had a lot of experimental treatments. She'd had, obviously, she'd had a mastectomy. She'd had, she'd had her ribs removed, part of her sternum removed. She'd had the tumour removed between her heart and her lungs. Uh, so it progressed and she had lesions then on her spine and her pelvis. So she was finding it getting, progressively finding it difficult to walk. And... Uh, all of this was, I have to say, she had private medical care. So she was entitled to nothing, even though she was dying. So I gave, I told her I'd give up work and I'd move in with her. I lived in Tipperary. My daughter's still in school, but my husband had just retired. So 
I moved in with her. And for the last four months of her life, I looked after her. Her friends came to visit her. We we eventually got a, um, an emergency medical card for her, which enabled her to get like a lazy boy because initially she could sleep downstairs and then she couldn't come downstairs anymore. So we moved everything up to our bedroom. We did a room up for Chris because Christmas was on the horizon and that was what we were aiming for. We had our whole room done up and uh, we used to put, I'd put the laptop on in the evening and I'd have the crackling fire on it and we'd listen to we listened to stories and things like that, and then we got a TV put in her room. But it progressively, obviously, got worse and worse. We worked with Brilliant, the um, St. Francis Hospice. They did her medications. and uh, But I have to say, it was four months of the last four months of her life. She fought all the way, never gave up, but she... It was very, it was a very positive experience for all of us. Yeah. You know, for the neighbours, the friends, our family members. We were there for her the whole time. So she um, availed of uh, palliative care, Susan? Yes, she did. She I, did, I yeah. did the palliative care for her. And I would encourage any family member who can do a little course in caring, maybe, if you can, if you have the time to do it. And maybe one day you will need it, but you'll be prepared for it. And it's not rocket science. You know, it isn't rocket science. And um, as I say, you get amazing care from the state because they rolled in behind us. As I say, they gave us the, the lazy boy chair and then they gave us a, um, a medical bed and uh, district nurses. They were there whenever I needed yeah. them. And probably home Along help, Susan. Did you have some of that well, too? Well, no, I did all No, I did all of or that. the night I nurse, I meant. Her. Sorry, the night nurse. No, I was, I was, was all there you. for her all the time. Yeah. Yes. And my brother would give me a night off. He'd come up yeah. and stay overnight with her one night a week. But we did it because we knew it was for a limited time. And um, it was it was traumatic now, at the you know, afterwards. But it was very rewarding. And I, I will not, you know, I'll never regret having done that. I'm very proud that I was able to do it, actually, that I saw it through. And I was there for her when she needed me. But we were all with her. You know, she didn't die on her own. Mm. She didn't die on her own and she knew she was loved. And, um, and you know, and, and it was a very positive experience in that way to talk about positive experiences. But I also had the experience of 30 years ago, my brother, who was in, 20, in 22, he had acute myeloid leukemia and he was dying and they wouldn't give him a bone marrow transplant. And he begged for it. If one of myself or my sister was able to give him the bone marrow, I was an absolute match for him. So I gave him his bone marrow transplant and he's still alive today. Never looked back. Okay. So I would think that euthanasia, if he had been in Canada now, he would have been given the option maybe just to, you know, to, to pass away, basically. Um, would they give him the option of really trying, you know, fighting for him to have to have a the transplant when he was told really it wasn't going to work. But it did work. And as I say, my sister, again, she, she was, you know, serious. There, there was no coming back from where she was. Mm. Um, You've had a lot of experience yeah. firsthand, Susan, in, in your have. family. So I, I take it you're, yeah. you know, because this is, is something that... 
I mean, it's not the first time it's been discussed. It's certainly not the first time we've chatted about it here anyway on, on Lunchtime Live. But, you know, you, you'll hear and you're going to hear an awful lot more about this discussion and the whole dying with, with dignity bill. But um, I, I take it you're, you're, ag- you're, you're against it, Susan. I am, and I am against it for a couple of reasons. I know in Canada, 30,000 people have been euthanized, and I know at least 400 of those people, they were not seriously ill. They were euthanized for various reasons, i.e. they were poor. Some people have been euthanized because they were poor. Um, you know, and these are statistics. You can you can find these out for yourself. I very much worry that the more, more, more authoritarian our governments are becoming... You know, I would really worry about them being able okay. to euthanize people, um, even in know, certain that, circumstances, or you know, when, in, even in uh, specific circumstances. Well, as I say, in Canada, there doesn't seem to be any any um, any reason not okay. to, as it were. Yeah, that would worry me. Okay, you know, no, it's me. a fair, and I, a lot of people are, I mean, I to- totally, totally get that. And it's the kind of thing, I mean, nobody wants to think about it or have this discussion, nearly unless you find yourself in the position um, like Gareth did. Or, and I know, you know, it was your own family have gone through illness as well, Susan. And it's only something, I suppose, nearly comes up for debate in a house or is ever mentioned, I'd imagine, when when somebody is, is going through something like this. Um, Padder is with us as well, Susan. Padder to being the uh, the into leader, because Padder, you, you're opposed to it as well. Yeah, first of all, just deepest sympathies I know. Uh, to Susan, Susan and Gareth yeah. there, first of all, in relation to the experiences that they've had. And, and many families, you know, you know, will have had experiences of loved ones dying, you know, in, in very difficult circumstances um, in their lives. And it's a very difficult issue to discuss because, you know, this, we have such an emotional investment, you know, uh, in to our loved ones. And these are very difficult times. But the first group of people I spoke to in relation to this was uh, the Association of uh, Palliative Medicine um, and the consultants in in that association. Now, these are the people probably with the greatest investment into this whole space, and and I mean that in a compassionate sense, that they are working with people who are dying uh, on a daily basis. They have the greatest level of experience in, in this area, and they have the greatest level of knowledge. And the Irish Palliative Medicine uh, Consultants Association is completely opposed uh, to the introduction of assisted suicide or euthanasia. Um, and they do so for, I suppose, good reasons. Um, in their view, what happens often is that, first of all, people are very fearful of what's going to happen down the road in terms of maybe pain or suffering if they're told that they have a fatal illness. Um, but most of the studies have shown that, you know, if you know people are educated with regards to what's available in terms of palliative care, much of that fear passes, and that fear can be quite transient. And um, so, you know, people do become more accepting after a number of months when they're told that they have a, a, a fatal illness. As such, the second issue that they focus on is really important as well: is that where assisted suicide or euthanasia is legislated for. Oftentimes what happens is people feel that there are a burden on society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a study done in Oregon, for example, where assisted suicide is available, one of the top three reasons for people choosing assisted suicide was that they felt that they were a burden on their families or a burden on society or a burden on, on others. And, you know, I do think it's, it's a shocking thing that, you know, in society that 
if we do get to the situation where older people start to feel like a burden and that they feel that they have to leave, that they have to choose this, um, and that's why I suppose disability organisations as well, disability yeah. rights action, and that's a in, very fair and reasonable concern Patter, to have like I mean it's but I suppose is, does that not mean that it's up to those in power like the legislators to find a way to make sure that doesn't happen or is that even possible well, I, I don't think it's even possible and that's the truth because where it has been legislated for the, the floodgates have opened and you know as Susan has mentioned there earlier in Canada for example a, an enormous amount of deaths happen as a result of assisted suicide now in Belgium is 1 in 20 people uh, who died died because of, of euthanasia um, and while you know at the very start obviously it's very rare for people to seek this but you know it becomes normalized mm-hmm. and you know then it, you know we have situations now where uh, it's happening for people who have uh, mental health issues or um, it's been legislated for younger and younger people, even children are being euthanized uh, in, in certain countries uh, at the moment. So the numbers radically increase okay. when you, ma- you make... Once you, see, the, the difficulty is, right now our society is completely generated towards saving life and protecting life. When you cross this Rubicon, all of a sudden that changes and doctors and society starts to become orientated towards the actual the okay. ending of, of life. Well, and that cultural change has an enormous knock-on effect. It is a big yeah. cultural shift and I, I fully accept that. Valerie is with us too, Patter. Um, Valerie Cox, who's a, of course, broadcaster. Valerie, um, I don't want to say you're in favour of assisted dying because that's not what it is. But but you you think that it is, um, it is, it's a debate that we need to have and something that has to be discussed. Oh, we certainly do. I mean, this argument has been going on since the 16th century and maybe longer. I mean, we people like the great philosophers, Michel de Montaigne and John Stuart Mill, and they said that dying was strictly a personal affair. And if you want to die rather than linger in awful pain, the government has no business intruding. And, you know, Mary Fleming, um, a weaker woman was the first one to take a case That's to right. the Irish court to challenge the ban on assisted suicide. And she said her personal autonomy was interfered with and she also wanted to protect her partner from criminal prosecution if he assisted her in ending her life. Now, she lost the case. She lost her appeal. But, I mean, what has come out of Mary's case? And, I mean, the judge described her as one of the best witnesses he ever listened to. What has come out of that, though, is that we must have this debate now And I think we're going to have to uh, allow assisted suicide in some form, but, I mean, obviously not just generally open to all. And I would query some of those statistics that Padre has come up with there, particularly the one of um, euthanasia for children. Yes, it was allowed for a short time in Belgium, and a 12-year-old boy died, and then they rescinded it. New South Wales, they allowed um, suicide by machine. Uh, Dr. Nietzsche um, invented a machine that you could sit into, uh, operate a computer, and do it all yourself. But then they rescinded that law. And in fact, the Australians were so angry about it, they wanted to get rid of that machine, and it ended up in the Science Museum in London. But I think the time has come to take this out of the hands of the DPP okay. and back to the individual. What about um, Patter's I mean, point, though, Valerie, around particularly around for people, older people or vulnerable people who might feel that they're a burden and that it'll be just too hard to restrict um, and legislate, sorry, in those cases? Um, no, that's when it goes wrong when people are misusing it. And the same thing can happen with any other legislation. And there have been awful mistakes. 
like the Australia, Belgium, um, the uh, care path in England, even in Liverpool, there have been various problems. But if you stick to what the legislation is and you copper fasten it and make it so good that people will avail of it, you are giving people the right to die in their own homes or wherever when it suits them in the bosom of their family. Can that happen? Can that happen, Potter? With the legislation? Again, if if you look in in Britain, the... In Britain, the Disability Rights Group, uh, they opposed similar law in Britain. They said that this was an illusionary uh, choice and that, you know, people with disabilities wouldn't be given support. The British Medical Association said that what's actually needed was improvements in palliative care. And, you know, even if you look at, and I mentioned that change in culture, if you look at what's happening, for example, in, in other countries, you know, the areas with the least amount of investment in palliative care in Canada are the areas with the most assisted suicide. Even like in in California, some med- some medical insurance companies are off- offering you know funding for assisted suicide, but not for chemotherapy. And w- after a, yes, if this cultural change happens, it has yes, a very negative uh, uh, influence on the supports that people you know should be getting in terms of palliative care. And, and Ireland is in that. Like right now, I have people coming to me with fatal illnesses looking for help getting medical cards mm. you know do, do, the, let the, me do, can Irish I just bring Valerie in I just want to get God, Valerie for... I didn't catch your point there on that just say that again where was I oh yeah I, I'm just saying you can quote all these statistics and you can quote the ones who went wrong and there were a lot went wrong but I think people should have autonomy over their own lives and we're talking about death here as though it's something that you take a couple of different in your grand no it's not and what we have to accept is some people have awful deaths. They really do. And it goes on for years and years. And you know something? If they were able to avail of um, euthanasia in their okay. own country, if there was a limited amount, well, they could actually live for years more. Let me put because this... If you both let, let me put Brian's point to you, Valerie, because and, and, and to Padder as well, actually. Like Brian has just texted and he says, you know, is it fair to say that people who aren't on the extreme end of this debate when it comes to assisted dying don't know how they feel about assisted dying? So how do you legislate to make sure that the law isn't abused? Like that, that's, a, that's a genuine question, though, for a lot of people, I'd say, in the middle ground, Valerie, in this. Absolutely. But I'll tell you something. Um, some years ago, uh, Dr. Philip Nietzsche, the man who made the machine in Australia and the chairperson of Exit International came to Ireland and he called a public meeting about euthanasia in Liberty Hall. About 80 people attended that meeting and afterwards there was a private meeting for which you paid an extra 50 euro and you were told how to go about it, what measures to take, what safeguards to take, how to make sure you didn't implicate anybody else. And then they handed out application forms, order forms for people to order the necessary things they needed. And there was a huge take up on that. So, you know, the people are afraid of death. I get that. Most of us are. But I think to have that extra little thing that you can maybe do and know you can do it if you end up in a really dreadful situation. And it's only going to be these dreadful situations if the legislation is applied properly. But it gives people a better quality of life. Mary Fleming argued that um, if you could, if you don't have to go to Dignitas, which is where you go to Switzerland, it's actually on an industrial estate and it's a very, very lonely way to okay. go. Okay, yeah, no, I know, and we heard Gareth. Go on ahead, Patter. Yeah, so I suppose Valerie has admitted, uh, you know, already that this has gone wrong in a large number of countries already. So that's that is clear that there's a, once you you cross the Rubicon, there's a tendency 
where you cannot put the limit anywhere because people say, well, what about this case and what about this case? And then the limit is just pushed out. The second individual issue that I disagree with Valerie on, on that issue, and Valerie seems to come to this with a kind of a libertarian attitude that is purely just the individual you know, decision. But we actually all live under the same sky. You know, the actions of one person do affect the actions of, of other individuals. And when you create a particular law, you, know, you can't actually create a law for an individual. You have to make it for groups and, and society. And that's why, actually, assisted suicide is an outlier internationally. In most Western progressive countries, assisted suicide is not allowed. And and just one other point, if I can make it, and this is another negative consequence of this. In countries where assisted suicide has been legalized, we have seen in some states actually suicide in the general population increase. And the reason being is because we have a very strong message in Ireland at the moment that suicide is not the right answer for people to take, that there, are, there is hope and that they should go and, and, and seek help. But if the state mm-hmm. turns all of that upside can down and says, actually, suicide the, is, is a viable choice here, that can have an effect on the rest of society right. and suicides the, in general. The committee's reconvening on Tuesday, is that right, Potter? Yes, that's, I understand that's the case. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not like it's, it's an issue, as I said, that people are going to hear a lot more about. And, and I fully understand that there is a huge number of people. Like, I, I don't know how you find yourself in any one side of it. You're, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very emotive um, and a very difficult topic. And I, I totally understand how and why people have so many concerns about it. Uh, lunchtime Live at Newstalk.com is the email address, though, if uh, if you want to get in touch. Um, Susan Patter-Tabeen, Valerie Cox, thanks a million to you all for joining us. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.